Today's guest, it's an interesting one. He's from New York. He has earned a, a double A degree in liberal arts at Nazau, and not at Nazau Community College, at the Bachelor's in Elementary Education, Elementary Education at the State University of New York at Oneonta, and two masters in special education and reading education at Long Island University. He he also he also earned his teaching and English as a second language certified at UCSD. He is the CEO and co and founder of Responsibilities Inc., which we'll be talking more into further details today, which is an international educational nonprofit organization working in the United States, Mexico, and Nicaragua. He started his job 40 years ago and is a he's he's also an adjunct professor at Southwestern College, taking English and college reading. Fun fact about our guest. He has not been to New York in 40 years. Please welcome David Lynch. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Now, I, I got to ask, when you sent me fun facts about you, you said you haven't been to New York in 40 years. Is, tell me, is that true? No, that, that information, that's incorrect. I said I haven't. I, I moved from New York 40 years ago, but I still have my New York accent. New York accent. Now, I always hear um, off of social media, this New York dad, the way he says coffee. How, coffee. Co yeah, exactly how you say it. <laughs> so when was the last time, you still go to New York, I'm assuming here and there. Um. <clears throat> Yes, I was raised in New York and I left New York uh, 40 years ago. I'm in uh, 68, almost 69 years of age. Um, and my plan was to go to uh, live in Tijuana, Mexico for a year, um, only one year. I was a uh, tenured teacher, special education, in New York, um, and I was going to go back to that special education teaching job, but I was just going to do this one year of volunteer work, working with kids that lived in a garbage dump in seven miles south of the border in Tijuana, and I uh, and I stayed. I ended up. Uh, they ended up each year for the first two years. I asked for a leave of absence. Uh, then I asked for a second leave of absence, and then I asked for a third leave of absence. And on the third leave of absence, they said yes, but that would be it. Either I returned or I resigned. And I remember when I got that letter and in June of 1985 that I answered it immediately, even though I had a year. I had a year to answer it. Um, I could have waited. I answered it immediately and said, I, I'm going to resign now. Because um, also they had a permanent sub in my position at the school who wanted my job. Um, so I resigned, knowing that I wouldn't go back. And the rest is history. Um, what was your motive? Your motive, what was your motive, you know, 
You said the third time you sent the letter and you responded immediately. What tell you, you my job at New York is done. It's time to start a new chapter here in Tijuana. Um, you know, the first year that I was there and the year passed by so quickly that I just felt like I was getting my feet on the ground, literally. And I was just beginning to learn Spanish, literally, just beginning. So I just felt this, I was just getting started that I needed to, I wanted to like continue uh, at least for a second year. Um, Cause I really did. I feel like I was just getting my feet on the ground. Um, like with any teaching job, you first one, you're experimenting with your, with what you're doing. So um, then it became the second one. And it, literally at the end of that second year, um, well, one of the things that happened, I had 65 students, by the way, that were coming to my school at the end of the second year. Um, and the school was located in what they called the old garbage dump. It was Colonia Panamericano. And it literally was the old garbage dump. It was a landfill. And there were about 35 families that lived in it at that time. Um, and this is going back, this is 1983, 1984. Um, and um, I had 65 students. We had built a one room classroom building, schoolhouse uh, there. And at the end of my second year, one of my students came knocking on my door, literally, with a brown paper bag and some clothes in, his, in the bag and said, can I stay with you? And I was like, what's this about? And he said his mother wasn't able to take care of him. And he was 10 years old. And I said, well, let's go find your mother. And let me ask her what this is about. So I did, I found her and she said, she just at, the, at that time in her life, she couldn't take care of her son. And uh, could, could I, would I, could I? And I said, I can do it for the summer. Okay, now this is in the second, at the end of my second year. And he left when he got married. Um, so figure out how long that was. That was many years later. Uh, so the idea of him staying for the summer just lasted. Um, he wasn't um, he wasn't legally adopted, uh, but I call him my son. He used to call me profe, teacher, and then yeah. David, and then he called me dad. And uh, today he's um, forty seven. 40, um, and he has three adult children, my grandchildren, they all call me grandpa, and one of them has two children. Um, so, and I see them all fairly often. Um, not at these times because of COVID, but I do see them often. Yeah. So that was one of those reasons back in 1985 when I sat at the end of the second year saying that I wasn't gonna go back that I wanted to uh, continue my work in Mexico. Um, so anyway. And you mentioned that this was like a summer 
project, and now it's, I'm assuming it's a full time right now. Oh, yes. In my, in my first three years, 1980, 41 years ago, um, I went as, as a summer volunteer. I went for one month. That's correct. Um, and then, uh, so that's the summer of 80, the summer of 81, I repeated that. And then in the summer of 82, I did it again. And then it was after the summer of 82 that I moved to Mexico. Um, for that one year, I had taken a year's leave of absence. And then I continued on. Um, I had eventually bought a house in Mexico. Um, I guess that was like, I don't, can't remember when I, but I still own it. I still have a house in Mexico. Um, so I lived there myself for 15 years, um, but I don't live there anymore. I live on this side of the border. So you're on San Diego, uh, San Isidro? Or yeah, San Isidro. That's where I am right now. Yeah. It's easy for you to travel back to check on your schools and locations because the border is right there. Oh yeah, it's simple. Um, yeah, literally, I can see that. I can see Tijuana. If I walk outside my house, I see Tijuana. Um, literally, and the border is exactly is a mile away. Um, that's that's what I like about San Diego. You know, I agree. There's, there's, Another country right next to you, your neighboring country. I and me too. It's exactly I you know, funny thing. When I'm back in New York and I'm visiting New York, and people ask me that, you know, what is it that you like about New York? This new about San Diego. I say that. What I like about San Diego is that Tijuana is right next door. Um well, I mean, there really isn't nothing next to New York. I mean, I know there's Canada, but you still gotta go like other states to travel through it i'm assuming <laughs> actually uh, new york and canada border each other uh and uh i actually own a, a cabin in upstate new york on a lake that's only like two hours from the canadian border um maybe it's two hours but i haven't been to canada in years but anyway. yeah but here in san diego you if you're in the tiny seat area it's literally a walking distance I would call it yes yes you're correct yeah uh, and I mean I don't I don't know about east coast food but I love my uh, southern California food here I don't know about you is that something you miss from New York or uh you know I I am fortunate enough that I go um back uh to New York a few months out of the year um I own a house in New York I own the house I grew up in uh, in New York. That, that must um, be nice. Yes. And so I go back and I spend my summers there and usually spend Christmas time there. So I get my full of New York. But what I miss about uh, New York is uh, I love the beaches of New York and I love New York City. And so, uh, but I get my fill because I go back and I'm there about three months out of the year. And I have my um, friends in New York. Um, I have my college friends from 48 years ago. Uh, I still have that college group of friends uh, um, that I am very close with. So, and my family, uh, some of my family is still in that near, in or around New York. Yeah. Uh, is it upstate New York where you're from or? No, no, I'm, 
I'm from outside New York City. Um, I'm from Long Island. Um, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's nice. Yeah, I, I mean, I've only been California and then southbound to Mexico, so I haven't been in any other states. I don't know the environment, but I heard some pretty cool stories about New York and the weather, some other East Coast food. Uh-huh. Uh, yes. Uh, well, you can't beat the weather here in San Diego. No, you know? it's uh, 70 degrees. Even 60 is cold for us down here. So, Right, right. So in, in New York, they had a really bad uh, winter in New York. And yeah. say that I don't miss that. <laughs> that's, yeah. a, that's a plus for living here in San Diego. Now let's get to the topic of responsibilities. Yeah. A few months ago, I had the opportunity to interview you for uh, a class, one of my, I guess he's a great friend of yours or a friend of yours, Professor Fergal. Yes. Yeah, I did a paper on him. Thanks to you, we're able to get the 150 at 150. And um, so I learned about responsibilities. But to the people that are just learning about what this program is, do you mind explaining it to them? Like a little summary. Okay, uh, responsibility uh, has schools for uh, children who live in uh, live in and around or around literally city garbage dumps uh, in areas where the government doesn't provide this level of education. Um, so in Tijuana, we are in the what they call the old garbage dump. Um, and the government doesn't have uh, preschool kindergarten. So they don't have education for four to six year olds. Um, so we provide it. We built the school um, and we build the school and then we provide the teachers. We totally fund the school. And in Nicaragua, we did the same thing. Uh, we um, went to Matagalpa, Nicaragua uh, in 2007 and we built a school there um, for the same population for kids that worked in a garbage dump. And we have, well, that school has really grown. We started out with this idea in Nicaragua that we would build a preschool kindergarten there. And uh, we now totally support preschool through high school. No, preschool through ninth grade. Um, yeah, that's equivalent to high school here. Yeah. It's like the um, first year. Yeah. So um, La Secundaria, like um, junior high school, I guess. Yeah. So that's what we do. Uh, and then here in the United States, we provide um, uh lectures, you know, as guest speakers in schools from kindergarten through college on life in third world countries. And we do invite students uh, to come to our schools, which was a big part of our program um, at one time at, here in Tijuana uh, for schools to come down, to bring their students down. But um, due to, various situations um, and insurance reasons. Uh, 
that uh, schools couldn't do that anymore, uh, bring their students across the border. Uh, so kind of died down. But anyway, that's what we do. Uh, so we build a school, we provide, and then we continue to run the school. We don't just build the school and leave. We, yeah. we run it. We fund it totally. Now, I did a little bit of research, and I found out that you had your own play here in a school in, I want to say, Carlsbad. Say that again. So I did a little bit of research beforehand, and then I found that you had a little uh, elementary middle school did a play about you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's correct. That's right. That's right. In your area. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's that's right. Um, yes, I, I, I think they call it um, Armando and the Blue Tarp School. It was the name of the book. There's a book written about hey. my work. Uh, Let me see if I have it right here. That's right. So what an honor that is for me. You know what? That happened twice. Uh, the first time it happened was in around 2003 that um, a community uh, harbor, harbor uh, community college up around the, in the LA area, uh, that school, um, I guess it's like um, theater department wrote a, a musical play about my work in 2003. Yes, that were the first ones and they called it uh, Responsibility the Musical. And uh, I remember meeting the guy who wrote the play um, in around 2000, the year 2000. Um, <clears throat> and he came down to my school and he had heard about my work in 1990, 10 years earlier. Wow. He had seen me on Inside Edition when Bill O'Reilly came to do a story about my work. And he started um, supporting me then. And 10 years later, he came and he said he wanted to meet me and he asked me um, what I would, what I thought about him if somebody wanted to write a musical play about my work. And jokingly, I answered, I don't think anybody would go see it. Um, so anyway, he um, took a, like a couple of years to write this play, this musical play. And I think, I think he said something like 3,000 people attended it. So that was in 2003. And then in uh, Larry Heingartner, was the guy who wrote the play. And in 2010 was the, um, a um, children's theater group up in your area uh, wrote a play That's based the on I the book. Know. Yeah. So how does it feel that your story is, I don't know, being casted in small theaters and the community. Very honored. I, I was very honored in both situations. Um, really, I just, I was just quite 
humbled and surprised and honored um, that anybody would want to sit down and watch a, a play about my work. That's very honor. That's a, quite an honor for somebody. Um, so yeah, I was very moved. Hopefully in the future, I get a play like you. I'm sniffing around. <laughs> yeah, um, I was reading it and I'm like, wow, a play, that's amazing. And here is the book, Armando and the Blue Tarp School. It was down there with all my other books, but I was able to find it. <laughs> oh, green screen's on. Yeah, I'll take it off of this portion. There's the book. There you go. Yeah, I read it a couple of times. It helped me understand more about the program that you do. Uh-huh. That that's really awesome that someone did a play or two people, two communities came together and honored you. Yes. Um and from the first play, the one that was written in 2002, from that, um, we, that's who built our, our school uh, in Tijuana, the one that we have today. Um, they, a person, one person who saw the play invited a group of people, of uh, Rotarians in the area to come and said, you have to come and see this play. And somebody, a Rotarian, saw it. And then he invited his company to come down and see my work. And they came out from New Jersey to um, see what I was doing. And then they are the ones who built the present day school that I have in Tijuana. That's amazing. Yes, it, it just, um, what do you call that? It was just one, re like a chain reaction. One person, then another, then another, and another. Look what happened. That's how that's how it starts, you know. It's I like it's kind of like networking. You yes. meet someone, and that person connects you or tells you about someone. That's how I started this podcast journey. Started talking to one person, and then I met the, the author of the book that wrote uh, Armando and the Blue Tarp, and that's how me and you got connected. Oh. And uh, the professor that you had. And, and out of nowhere, my professor and you have worked in the past. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's how it's, it, I find it, I can't believe it or I don't know how this works, how, how little this world can be. Yes, yeah, yes, and I found that too. I can't, I don't know the right word, but it's crazy how the world works. Yeah. I, I agree with you. Uh, I certainly agree with you that how those things happen. Now, so obviously I, through my podcast, I, I talk about challenges and how we overcome. If you can, what were some of the challenges through this program or challenges that you faced starting the program or in the middle of COVID? Well, one of the things, one of my challenges is, and this is true, 
that I have been working in Mexico or Latin American countries for 40 years. And I speaking Spanish is a challenge to me. Um, I am not a person that learns a second language easily. I am just not. Um, so there's my first challenge, speaking Spanish. <laughs> um, but it's a challenge I deal with um, with the job. Um, what are the other challenges? Um, you know, if I want to, I'll tell you, um, bringing uh, things across the border, um, like the first time with the very first school that we were going to um, build uh, it, in Tijuana, that was a challenge, uh, but we did it, we did it. It was, it was getting the permits to cross the things at the border, um, it was done. Um, but that's, that's, that's a challenge. Um, um, you know, I don't have, a, <laughs> that's a good, good question. You know, it's, I, I, um, I face the same challenges that any school has, that any like school principal has. I have the same kind of challenges you know fundraising is always a challenge but i'm still here um, yeah programs you know? are alive yeah yeah so you know where we are successful i am i'm successful um, at that uh, i'm very fortunate that i have some very generous donors now you said you you're in two countries right two three locations Yes, uh, Nicaragua, Mexico, and here in the U.S. So uh, I'm, I'm assuming, I'm guessing, it all started in Tijuana. Yes, it all started in Tijuana. It all started in 1980 as a summer volunteer. So yes. now I, I want you to take me back. So let's say you hopped out of the plane. You, I'm assuming you uh, landed here in San Diego Airport and then crossed the border. What was your initial reaction when you landed? Okay, here's, uh, I'm gonna tell you a little bit before that. Okay, I was joining a group. I had heard, I was in New York, living in New York, right? And one of my friends, um, like people that I grew up with had um, told me that she had this experience of working with Rosemont College and she went to Tijuana and she stayed in uh, San Ysidro and they crossed the border every day working with children that lived in a garbage dump. And they joined a, an organization called Los Niños. And I said to her, well, if that college um, continues with that program and they accept men, at the time they didn't, they accept, it, was, it was only for women. Um, Rosemont College was a girls college at the time. I don't think it is anymore. I think it's co-ed now, not sure though. Um, so a year later, I got this application and like I rarely saw this person. Uh, and, but I got this application and I contacted them and I went for the interview. And meanwhile, during this process, I moved. So after I had gone from the interview, I never heard from the college again uh, or the person running this, their summer programs. And uh, 
So I just thought I was, you know, either they didn't continue with the program or I didn't get accepted. I don't know. But on Father's Day of 1980, I got a phone call from them and they're uh, from the new director of the summer program that was going to uh, Tijuana, uh, wanting to know my flight plans. The time that I was arriving at the airport um, on this particular date. And I said, I had never heard from you again. So um, anyway, I came here to, I quickly made my flight reservations and I had just moved to my summer, to my summer home. I just moved to a new home on the beach on Long Island. I mean, literally you walked out my back door of my house and you walked right into the water. It was wow. like buying a house on Mission Bay. Um, just like that. And, and I remember my father thinking, you're going to leave this to go work in a foreign country? You just moved in. <laughs> I was like, he thought I was nuts at the time, but I did. And uh, so it was my first experience of working with the poor. I didn't grow up like that at all. Um, I had no experience of working with the underprivileged growing up, none. Um, so the whole thing was a shock um, to, to me to see how people lived in these huts with no running water, no electricity, um, dirt floor huts, outhouses for bathrooms, you know? Um, that whole thing was like, wow. You know, it was just, it was amazing to me. Um, it was like a whole new learning experience. So, and I did think like working in, because we honestly worked in a garbage dump. So we had these trucks going back and forth. It's the summertime. You're out in the uh, sun. Valley. Yes. So it was hot. The sun's burning. I'm bald. Um, I can't deal with that sun like that. The truck's going back and forth. The stench of the garbage. And they used to burn the garbage at the end of the day. Um, so after my one month in, in 1980, I thought that was it. I'm not coming back here again. I did my good deed to mankind. I'm going to heaven. I never have to come back here again. And I really thought that. Um, I really did. I, so that was it. I, I taught the level. Uh, I was grouped with a woman who was fluent in Spanish. So it was my teaching skills and her Spanish skills. And we taught kindergartners um, for a month. I called it a pseudo school. Um, Say that so, again. What? Say that again. A pseudo school. Pseudo. Pseudo, false school. Because, you know, like, what did we really do? I don't know. In a month? I don't know. And then we take, we teach them for in the morning, in the afternoon, we used to take groups to the beach, to Rosarito. Um, yeah. And then we come back across the border and we stayed at the barracks in uh, Brownfield in San Isidro. Um, so we did that for a month and then I went home and I did think I was never coming back here again. Yet, when I was teaching in my public school, if any kid complained about anything or their parent about anything, I would say, you think you have it bad. And then I referred to some kid at the school. And I said, you know, I had this experience, you know. So at the end of my year, I thought, 
the next year, 1981, I thought, well, what would it be for me to go back for another month? Um, so I returned another month. And then the same thing happened again. And then I was my third summer. Um, the third summer, I stayed more like um, six weeks, I think. I ran the program in the third, the third summer. Um, so at the end of the third summer is when I said, you know, I really would like to come here and teach for a year. Um, and that's how it all started. Um, so one of the things that's interesting, I'll tell you, that a question that's often asked is, where did this motivation come from? And there's two things. When I was 10 years, I went to Catholic school. And in fourth grade, we used to read the Mary Knoll Missionary Booklet. Um, it was a monthly booklet that used to come out. And we used to read it in our classroom. And I remembered reading about missionaries in Uganda. And me thinking at the age of nine, reading this and saying, that's what I'd like to do in my future at the age of nine. Um, also, and that is one thing I said from nine, the age of nine, I knew what I wanted to do with my life. Um, now I did something different, but it was based, it was different, but it's the same. Uh, also, um, I grew up with a handicapped brother and it is um, interesting that in one of my, I was doing my master's degree or one of my degrees and I did research about um, families growing up with handicapped siblings that often um, the siblings will go into two fields, education and healthcare. And in my family, there are six of us. Now I have brother Kevin and there's, he had five brothers and sisters. Four of us went into education or healthcare. Wow. Now, yeah. So I said, we're following though the statistics that say that that's common. And I, I say that he's the motivator behind my desire to want to help the less fortunate. He, um, he was um, unable to speak clearly. Uh, he was unable to read or write. Uh, and as an adult, I would say that he had the mental capacity of 10-year-old, 11-year-old, but he drove. He had, a car, he had a driver's license and he had a full-time job all his life. He passed away five years ago. Um, of leukemia. And anyway, so I say, I give him the credit. I say that my brother Kevin really was the motivation for me to start this type of work. He was. Until this day, I still say that. So I always ask my guests what something you look up to. And from listening to what you're saying, your brother Ke Kevin, am I correct? Yes. Was your motivator, your mentor, your inspiration to what you started? Yes, 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 he was. Um, and I don't think that he realized that when he was alive. And he supported my work by collecting um, cans, recyclable cans and uh, aluminum cans, like soda cans and plastic bottles 
and started out with he did it at work that he had people like separate the them into like separate bags so that he would go and recycle them and it kind of started growing the neighbors started bringing plastic huge bags of recyclables to the house and then he recycled them and then with the money that he made from that he used to send that as a donation to my work and he did it for 30 years 35 it's years simple to help out whether it's a can a day or a big bigger amount throughout the year why wow, that, that even uh, inspired me to do something <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. So, so, go ahead. No, that's it. That that's yes. So he is the he's the motivation behind me having this desire to want to work with the less fortunate. Um, so I started out as a special education teacher, which he was one hundred percent the reason why I did that. And then I just got um, just went down a different path. Uh, and it's interesting that I chose to work with this type of. Uh, poverty-stricken people working in garbage dumps. I didn't know poverty at all when I was growing up. Believe me, not even close to um, to this. Um, but it's uh, became my life's work. Now, the first time we talked, you mentioned that some of these kids would either go to school in the morning and work in the afternoon or the other way around. Tell us how that, that looks like, or how was that? Okay, in, um, in Nicaragua, uh, we when we started our school in Nicaragua, well, and also in, um, in Tijuana years ago, when I started, the first started school in, in Tijuana also, the kids used to work. And I used to, when I used to drive into, the, um, the garbage dump, Colony Panamericano, I used to drive in and I used to make a circle around, like follow the street and it was a circle. And I used to honk my horn and that would alarm them to know that I had arrived. Um, and then that also would give them say, okay, I go to school and you know, in an hour from now or two hours from now or whatever. Um, so, Though so many of those kids came from working in the garbage dump then to the class. Um, in, Nic in Nicaragua, we had, when we started our school, we first started with a kindergarten. Now, in Nicaragua, what happened in 2007, I went down there um, with a Catholic nun that worked with me for 22 years. And, what happened was that I had a coworker of like 24 years. Her name was Christina Marcelli La Rosa. Uh, and she used to come and stay with us for the, stay with me for the summers. And we were best friends. Um, and she sudden, and the two of us, me and Christina had traveled around Latin America looking for a new place for responsibility to start a new project. But we never did it. Even though in, in the 90s, we had gone to um, Honduras and Guatemala, um, we just never found the right place. So suddenly in 2006, Christina dies. Um, 
she died in her sleep. So I said, this is the motivation. And in Christine's honor, I am going to do this. And one of the countries that Christina had gone to, not me, but Christina, and the Catholic nun that worked with me for 22 years had lived for, I don't know how many years, nine, 10, 11, I don't know. Um, but she was, she worked in Nicaragua as a missionary. So she told me that she had contacts that she could contact in Nicaragua if I wanted her to. And I said, yes, and she did. And she told them about my work, wanting to work in Nicaragua um, in a garbage, with the garbage dump community. That was kind of my specialty. So um, we chose um, Matagalpa and we went there. And sure enough, there was you know, like 700 people that were working in that garbage dump. And during our visit, on that first exploratory visit, I met a, a Nicaraguan man who had built a very primitive, very basic four wall structure where he had a primary school. And his name was Leonardo. And I asked him in conversations, we had met several times during that time that I was there of how he got started. And he said that he was told about the people that had worked in the kids that had worked in the garbage dump and that they didn't go to school and that he walked there. He was going to college at the time, a university that's in the city of Matagalpa. And he walked out to the garbage dump, which is miles. He probably hitchhiked. Um, and when he got out there, he saw it for himself that there were these, all these kids, hundreds of kids working in the garbage dump. And then he said, the following day I returned with a blue tarp and I set it on the ground and I started teaching school. And I said to him, you know, it was meant to be that you and I met because the way that we both started teaching is the exact same way. I started, I said, even though we're in different countries and I'm with different generations, we both started teaching in a garbage dump on a blue tarp. So I said, you and I, as in the book, Armando and the Blue Tarp School, I said, if you and I were to work together, what would you want me to do? And he said, build a kindergarten. And I said, that's our specialty. Okay, we'll do it. So uh, I said that what we'll have to do is first get like run it see if there's an interest in the community of sending kids that age to school, four and five-year-olds, four, five, six-year-olds. Um, and there was. So anyway, we built the school. And then after, and the first year we ran it as a kindergarten. The second year, we went around the garbage dump and we invited teenagers to a special session that, and we called it Kids Who Work. And it was a session for them. So whether they worked in the garbage dump or they worked in the street selling chiclets. Um, if you were a working student, we had a school for you. So if you were 16 and you had never been in school, you weren't embarrassed about it because the person next to you is 15 and also had never been in school and you're in first grade. 
So it started out with the first year, I think we had like um, 75 students in, the, in that um, session. And, we, ha and we, we had it later in the afternoon and it was three hours. Well, anyway, over and within a few years, the whole school thing program grew to 750 kids. Um, not all like, and we ended up having three sessions during the day. And our kindergarten was, was a kindergarten, yeah, in the first session in the morning, but then in the afternoon, it was for those kids who worked. Um, and it got so crowded that we had to have three sessions during the day to maintain everybody. So now we're down to two sessions and we have about 600 students um, that attend uh, that school. And there's uh, 14 teachers there. And many of them work double sessions. Um, also, uh, many, well, I don't know. I don't really know how many it is, um, but we'll work in a session in a public school and then they come to our session. And it's either or, they work a morning session in public school afternoon and ours or reverse. Or, um, so, and the director of that school is Liam Harlan, the guy that I met in 2007. One thing that I learned throughout this whole process of the interview is you don't really know what you're getting, what the outcome is gonna be, whether it's good or bad, if you don't put yourself out there. Like you said at the beginning, you were at New York and you weren't sure if you wanted to come down. And then look at you now, 40, 41 years later, you started this nonprofit organization, making some of these kids a better life, feeling good. Yes, and if we um, look at over the years, and I think when we count up to is that we've had about 25,000 students over those 40 years. And I, on occasion, run into them. Now in Nicaragua, we've had this other phenomenal thing. Um, we had a student a couple of years ago where the director saw his natural talents and he participated in a national, well, I'll call it like a Jeopardy program. You know, the, the TV program, yeah. Jeopardy? Like that. And he came in second place in the nation. In the nation. Uh, in the nation of Nicaragua. And he was a working student. So I said, that is absolutely amazing. But it was his teacher telling the director and then the director pursuing it says he should be put into this contest. And look what happens to him. That's what I say. You don't know what you're going to get if you don't put yourself out there, take the big leap or risk. Yes. That, that's what I did with this. I wasn't, I wasn't sure if I wanted to do this whole podcast on YouTube. So I took a big leap and I'm getting to know these amazing stories from amazing people, how they started. Yeah. That is awesome. At national level at Nicaragua, that must feel nice. Yeah, I don't, you know, today I don't know what happened. That, that student moved to the, the capital of Nicaragua and we don't know what happened to him today, but he graduated from our school. We had another girl 
the same thing. She, um, her teacher, sir, her abilities in poetry writing. And she came in second and presented her work into a state competition. And this girl was a garbage dump picker. And she came in um, first place in the nation, not in the nation, in her state competition. Uh, they don't have that competition in the, in the nation. So, but she, she won. And I isn't that amazing? It's this amazing. girl picks garbage in the morning and she wins a poetry competition in the afternoon. Um, Sometimes it's the right person that helps you discover what you're good at. Yeah, yes. And I give credit for uh, her teachers, um, you know, building upon, you know, because they see that natural ability that you have and building, you know, pursuing you, motivating you to, to, to work with it. Um, and, and then their director pursuing it and then doing the work to, you know, hey, you need to get involved with this. You could, you know, you could do well in this, you know, and him gun ho and getting them involved. So I had another one. I, I went to a quinceanera. So this is going back about 11 years ago. And there were 500 people at this quinceanera, 15th birthday uh, in Tijuana. It was downtown Tijuana. And I'm there amongst these 500 people in the city of Tijuana. And this woman comes up to me and she's asked me, she says, you know, I, in Spanish, she says, uh, Senor, are you Senor David? And I said, yes, uh, I am. And she said to me, do you remember me? I, my name is Antonia. And I, she says, I studied with you about 25 years ago. Um, and I'm looking at this woman and I'm trying to think of what did she look like when I had her when she was like 12 years old. And she, she said to me, I went on trips with you to San Francisco. Um, she said the San Diego Zoo, Disneyland. And she said, but what motivated my career were two trips that we took. One was to a restaurant, Giuseppe's, this is in Tijuana. And the other one was to a bakery called uh, Don Pedro's. And I used to do that with the kids, take them on um, visits to businesses. First, I go to the business and say, explain the work that I did. And I said, these kids need, I'd like you to visit this place and you take them on a tour of every job that you have in the business. And some, you know, they would do it. Most of them, you know, like I, I took them to a carpentry place, the place that built furniture for Jerome's furniture. Yeah. Um, for to a, a bakery and they showed him everything. So this girl, Antonia says, it was from the Giuseppe's and the bakery where I decided I wanted to own my own bakery. And she said, and I'm the one who baked the cake for this quinceanera. Come and look at it. And I saw this thing, it's huge, huge on tears and all this stuff. So I didn't remember her looking at her, but in the middle of the night, I literally, I woke up like at three o'clock in the morning. I said, I know she is. And at seven o'clock in the morning, I was on the phone with a neighbor who is uh, Profe Felipe. 
one of my former students who became a teacher uh, with me. And I said, do me a favor, tell your, tell your neighbor that I do remember her. And I remember the trip and us going to ask her father's permission to go on this trip to San Francisco. Um, she may remember it. And anyway, I, um, he did. And I remember, I did remember her. Um, so. That uh, is awesome. You know, I am speechless. I'm Where do you see yourself in five years from now? Well, I, re I, I re answered this question in the past, but for the people that didn't catch that episode. So right now I'm in community college, Palomar College, a local community college. And um, so I five years from now, I said I'd be like 22, turning 19 this year, 22, 23, around there. You know, hopefully I will be graduating off of San Diego State. One of the, my dream schools since literally I was 12 or 13, I always wanted to go to that university. And now that I have the opportunity to work and transfer to that school, I see myself graduating, becoming a journalist, whether it's writing or reporting, and you know, just reporting news to the community, get that trust back that the journalists have lost with the community, presenting facts. And hopefully in some way, I wanna start a nonprofit or help out with the nonprofit. And that will be your career. Exactly. As a journalist. Very good. I'm sure you're going to reach your goal. Thank you. And you and I have a mutual friend, um, Judith. Yes, you do. Now, how do you know her? Okay, so it's a pretty much a long story, but I'm going to try to keep it short. So her daughter, Kirsten Josephson, she uh, she worked at the middle school that I went to. I was a sixth grade boy with a torn up wheelchair. This is why I say at the beginning, sometimes it takes one person to put you out there and help you discover what you're good at or your purpose is. She, her daughter was one the reason why I decided to be a journalist or got the inspiration of being a journalist. So anyways, I was in sixth grade, torn up wheelchair. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. College was not an option for me. College was out of the picture. She comes up to me one day and I told her what I said right now. I, well, I don't know about college. And then it was around seventh, eighth grade. She took me under her wing and she showed me a bunch of clubs that the school had organized, had a network and, um, What's that word? Not advertise. I forgot the word. Um, speak for yourself. Advocate for yourself. Uh -huh. And then I thought after I promoted, that was it for me. I wasn't going to see her again. Well, four years later, I'm a senior in high school. One of my friends, one of my high school and middle school friends comes up to me and she's like, hey, uh, Miss J is hosting this college club, you know, where we, she helps the plan of college. And I, I go to her and we meet once a week. And thanks to her, I got into four, four universities. But I decided to go community 
because I wasn't ready to move on to a bigger chapter in life. And then that's where I met Judith, because her daughter would tell her everything about me from sixth grade to growing up. And to the one point where they were on the process on writing a book about my story. Judith is writing a book about you? Yeah. Oh, nice. Nice. Very nice. I learned something new about you. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So great. Hopefully we get this book. We're in the process right now, but it's in the works. And then that's when I started this podcast. And Judith and her husband, Ron, and daughter, Kirsten, helping out, networking, meeting other people and get them on the show like you today. Great. Great. Glad to hear it. Um, I've met Judith's daughter, Kirsten, over the years uh, at different events here and there. Yeah. Um, I met Judith in 1984 or 1985 when she wrote, was writing for the LA Times. And she, her daughter was in Girl Scouts and her Girl Scout troop had come down to the garbage dump and they did some sort of a Girl Scout project with me. And she went home and told her mother, Judith. And that's how she, Judith and Edith Fine, um, then presented the idea of writing a story about my work. And that's how I met those two. And they wrote, an, they wrote uh, two articles about my work for the LA Times in 19, I think it was 1984 or, or 1985, one or the other, or both. So, and then years later, after they wrote that, years later, they were invited to a fundraising event by someone else. And um, they clicked that this fundraiser was for me. And they, that's how we reconnected. And I think that was in 1999, like 15 years later. Yeah. So I, like I said it earlier in the beginning, it's crazy how this world works, how sometimes we are tied back. You mentioned with uh, Leonardo, you started the same way you meet, and now you're working together. Judith, you see her 15 years later, you see her again. Yeah, I'm telling you, this world is still small, and we all got to appreciate it and what we got. Same with um, the schools down there in the third world country, you know. Now that I know the story, I can't complain about my education. Yes. And here's another amazing thing uh, I, that I have had happen to me. And this has happened just in the past few years. Uh, now, it's, I told you, I, I teach at Southwestern College as I'm an adjunct professor. I've been there 30 years. And uh, several years ago, in one of my classes, the student in the second class, she was the first one to arrive. And I'm always very early in my class, like a half hour early. And I'm always like getting ready and preparing. And she was very early this day. And the second class, she says to me, do you own a kindergarten in Tijuana? And it shocked me. And I said, yes. Like, how do you know about it? Now, she's speaking to me in English, in perfect English. And she's in my, I don't know what class it was. I think she, it was, but it was a reading class. Um, and she, at, 
I just said, how do you know about it? And she said, because I attended your school and I graduated in 1995 from your kindergarten. And I said, oh my gosh. Um, she says, and I, my family still lives across the street from your kindergarten. That is just amazing. And then like a year later, I am talking to a college class as a guest speaker at a college class, different campus. And I'm telling this story about how surprised I was to have one of my kindergarten students be in my college class. And a student raises her hand and says to me, I also attended your college class, your, your kindergarten school. Wow. And I said, oh my gosh. So those things, yeah, I said, oh my, you know, like it just amazed, you're blown away. By, um, I like to call those uh, little golden nuggets in life that you're like, wow, I'm really yeah. doing an impact. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you just don't know. You just like, you just don't know how, what effect you're going to have on people. Um, that the student that that happened with has since moved to uh, Texas. In fact, that she emailed me like about six months ago, just updating me on what she was doing and asking how I was. Um, and that's how I knew that she had moved to Texas. But her plan is to become a nurse. That's what she wants to do. Whether she's pursuing it or not, I don't know. Um, yeah. Yeah. But uh, the way, you know, I got into this whole story, like how is it that you were able to um, go to school in the United States? Her family is Mexican. They live in a garbage dump, you know? Um, and uh, she said that she was born here. Now, her brothers were not, but she was. Um, so she had the birth certificate. I said, oh, wow. Amazing. So anyway, yeah. Well, David, I guess this is it. Where okay. can our where can our viewers, listeners, find more about responsibilities? Um, there's a website, and it's a simple website address. It's called Responsibility Online. One word: responsibilityonline.org, and all our information is on there. So now I'll leave a link down below. Is there anything you want to tell our guests? Before we end it, I think I covered it. Um, but uh, if anybody is watching this and would like to come and visit our school after the COVID nineteen pandemic thing is over with, they're more than welcome to come and visit. I will gladly take them down and bring them back. Um, well, I I hope after this pandemic, I can go after. have a glimpse and see how it is. We got to schedule something. All right, David. I appreciate you being here. If you're listening to us, make sure you follow us, whether it's on Spotify and anywhere you're listening. Or if you're on YouTube, just click that red button, subscribe, and keep up to us. This is Manny Kang with another episode featuring David Lynch. Thank you all for watching.